1: Wow, I'm so excited to be here tonight. There are so many people, so many faces I see that I recognize. Love you guys. And for all of those who I don't recognize, we haven't met before, I'm so happy to see you here. It's great to meet you in this very impersonal way. I'm very sorry um, that we're not really actually meeting right now, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, So I promised that I would speak slowly, but not too loud. There you go. So I'm going to try and do that. That's a shout out to someone. Anyway, you're like, what is, what is going on? What's wrong with her? I don't know. I'm just getting settled. Look at this little table I have. I have all these things. I have to like lay them out around here. Okay. Wow, it's great to be here. Now look, at now I have to find my papers. Have you ever seen someone so disorganized? I'm just all thrown off because I'm so excited. I see all these people I love. Oh, I'm so happy. So my name is Jenny. Um, My husband Tom and I are missionaries. This past term we were in Brussels, Belgium, and Oak Creek Assembly is my home church. And I grew up like this, when it was like just this part, and actually even before that, but that's gonna make me sound really old, so I'm not gonna talk about that. But um, I love this church, and it's where I came to know Jesus, it's where I was called to ministry. I got to sing with my friend Kelly. I'm not saying that I could do that now, OK? I'm just saying in the past, we got to sing in youth group and just all these places. I, I was raised here, And so it's really good to be back and good to be home. Um, my husband Tom, is from the Chicago area, and we met in college, and um, well, before I even go on into, well, I can come, I'll come back to that. Um, we have been married 20 years now. You're like, did she get married when she was eight years old? <laughs> yes. No, I didn't. That, no, I was older. I just look young. <laughs> I think. I hope. So we met in college, and we, uh, our heart was always to do missions and go into ministry. So right out of college, we came to Wisconsin for a year. We helped at a church plant in Oconomowoc. Do you know people in the rest of this country, like, don't know how to spell that? It's true. They're like, what did you just say? And I'm like, oh, see? (laughs) So um, we have two kids. Our son, Boaz, is six years old, and he was born in Chicago. And our daughter, Louisa, is four, and she was born in Brussels. And they are just like a total, our total miracle. Um, When I was a child here at this church, I had childhood cancer, And went through a transplant. And all of this, God totally healed me. um, Except for this one thing, that I couldn't have kids. And that was okay. And we were okay with that. And then literally after like 12 years of being married, out of the blue, I just one day really needed a hamburger. (laughs) And it turns out I was pregnant. And that doesn't mean if you just need a hamburger that you're pregnant. (laughs) But what I'm saying is that's what happened. And so... um, my son Boaz was born, and God has blessed us with them. We love them so much. Um, we've been called to missions for a long time, like I was saying, since I was a kid. But um, one of the things that has been a constant, so we, we went into missions, um, it's been about 12 years now serving. We served in West Africa and, and then in Europe. And one of the things that has been this constant are these verses. So when we didn't quite know where we were headed, God put these verses on our heart. Isaiah 58 and it's verses that he has used to direct us and guide us in the work that we do wherever we go. Things like, um, sorry, I'm like so. Just here I am. <laughs> Wait, what am I supposed to say? Everyone now, <laughs> Kelly. Okay, so wow, I'm really off temp, but that's okay. I'm not. I'm not frazzled by this. And I'm like, the funny part is I'm telling my own story right now. Isn't that weird? (laughs) So, okay, here we go. Like things from Isaiah 28. A call to help break the bonds of injustice. A call to repentance. A call to humility. A call to feeding those who are hungry, clothing those who do not have food providing homes for those who do not have homes. These are things that have challenged us and directed our work. And some of the most marginalized people in Europe are people who come have come there seeking refuge. They have had to leave like everything that they know and come to a place where they have nothing and then are completely ostracized by the communities that they land in. And as you can imagine, it would be, I, I mean, I can only imagine how awful that would feel to not be welcomed. Um, we believe that the church has this awesome opportunity to, be, to welcome and love people into community. Uh, and I mean, look at this room. Look at the community that you have in this church. Look at what community you have to offer here. And churches have this amazing, beautiful community to offer to people who don't have that. And so we believe that the church in Europe, that that is the heart that God has for them. And another thing is that Isaiah 58 talks about being a light in the darkness. And Europe is, I guess you could say, like a spiritually dark place. I mean, people do not consider Christianity and faith to be relevant at all. Okay, it's like this, um, like the steam engine. You're like, what is she talking about now? The steam engine, I mean, can you like, maybe you've heard of it before. It's a train you're like, that, yeah, cool, like they used to use those a long time ago, not really relevant to my life right now, I don't really think about steam engines a lot, they don't even, like I never see one on Instagram. (laughs) They're irrelevant, and that's how a lot of people think about faith in Europe, it's just not a part of their life. So our heart is really to see the church in Europe to be able to Be that light. We believe that when people are really being Jesus people, like when people love Jesus and then they act like that and they love people, even if it's the marginalized, if it's the secularized, whoever, other people see that light. And we believe that it's transformative. It draws people to Jesus. And so we we are praying and hoping to be a part of that in Europe and to come alongside churches in Europe and empower them to do that work. Um, And so we just, it is always an honor to come home and to be able to say thank you face-to-face to to the churches that love and support us financially and through prayer because we couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Thank you for sending us. Thank you for faithfully supporting us. Thank you for giving to missions and praying. I have a couple of things that you could, I'm going to ask real quick that if you could be praying with us for our kids as we head back um, to Europe that like they have to go, to, they're going to be going to new schools and a new language. It's a whole new thing for them. It's been a few years since they've been there, and they were really little, so they don't remember. So if you could be praying for my kids with me, I would appreciate it because you know I'm a mom and I'm worried about them, right? And then um, if you could be praying for the visa situation in Belgium, it's actually this. You may not be aware. But some countries are harder for missionaries to work in than, in than in others. And a lot of people wouldn't think that Europe would be a difficult place, but Belgium is becoming more difficult. And so would you just pray with us that, that Christians and missionaries would be able to go, go there and to, and to work and um, that God would direct us and guide us to the right place he has for us in this time. And then lastly, just that more churches would come alongside of us, like Oak Creek, so that we can raise the funds that we need to go. So thanks for praying for that. That means so much. Um, later tonight, there's like going to be some prayer cards and some of our Christmas cards, and we, you're welcome to take one of those. And just like as a reminder, so I'm gonna jump right into Nehemiah, and I'll try not to be so awkward anymore. Okay. Thanks for like being so kind and loving toward me about that. So Nehemiah five, if you guys like. I don't know if you've done a Bible study before. Some of you, this might be like, you're like, I'm really good at Bible studies. I do this all the time. And some of you may be like, I've never done a Bible study. This is my first time. So I don't know if you've actually gone ahead and read Nehemiah 5, but we're going to read it together. I wanted to give you a recap of what we've been talking about, what you guys have been talking about the last few weeks, just to catch up about what's been happening in Nehemiah. Okay. Can everyone understand me? I'm talking... Too fast, slow down. OK, previously on Rebuild, God's people. So like, you, does everyone have Jack Bauer in their mind right now? OK. God's people have returned to Jerusalem from exile to find their city destroyed and the walls broken down. One of their own, Nehemiah, has been entrusted with a high position in the Persian empire as cupbearer to the king and is granted permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Though things are worse than he could have imagined, Nehemiah gathers the people to begin the noble task, but not before fierce opposition arises from powerful men intent on stopping this God-directed task. With the threat of imminent attack, the people take shifts to work day and night with a weapon at the ready at all times. Nehemiah 5. Okay, here we go. So we're going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read out of the message tonight because I think it's really cool and it's easier to understand for me. So thanks. Here we go. You can read out of whatever you're in, wherever you're at. A great protest was mounted by the people, including the wives. Don't love that they had to add that separate. Jenny commentary there against their fellow Jews. Some said, we have big families and we need food just to survive. Others said, we're having to mortgage our fields and vineyards and homes to get enough grain to keep from starving. And others said, We're having to borrow money to pay the royal tax on our fields and vineyards. Look, we are the same flesh and blood as our brothers here. Our children are just as good as theirs, and yet here we are having to sell our children off as slaves. Some of our daughters have already been sold, and we can't do anything about it because our fields and our vineyards are owned by somebody else. This is not a good situation. We'll take a quick pause and talk about what's happening here. It's really hard to imagine a more desperate situation than the way these people feel. They had just come back from living in exile, like they had to leave their country. They come back, their whole home is ruined and destroyed. They are the ones that have have to rebuild it with their own hands, and then their very own people, mostly like nobles and officials, are totally taking advantage of them They are loaning them money. It's a famine, also, just to add to those. Does this feel like I'm talking about life right now? (laughs) All the things. It's a famine, and so they don't have enough food. And then these rich nobles and officials are coming in. They're saying, hey, we'll loan you the money for food, but we're gonna give it to you at interest, so you're gonna have to pay us back. Oh, and if you can't pay us back, then we're gonna just take everything you own And if you don't have anything left to give us, we'll just take your children. So this is a nightmare situation that they are living in. And they come to Nehemiah and talk to him about this. And actually, what they were doing was illegal. It was against Jewish law. So in Jewish law, which we're going to find in books like Leviticus, and Deuteronomy talk about the Jewish law. And for instance, Leviticus 25 says, and these are like, this is God giving directions to his people on how to live. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest nor give him your food for profit. So not only were... Were Jewish people not supposed to um, loan at interest, but if someone was in a very desperate situation, they were supposed to give it as a gift. That was what set them apart as god's people. They were generous. You see, being kind and generous and so and like justice and all this this isn't a New Testament thing. this is an old testament thing. this is god's heart. it's an important in fact. Justice is an important part of Jewish tradition. So here you go. They're breaking the law, they're breaking the law and they're hurting their own people. So that's just we just wanted to make sure that we picked up picked up on that. Let's go to verse 6 and 7, the next part. So Nehemiah says, "I got really angry when I heard their protest and complaints. After thinking it over, I called the nobles and officials on the carpet. And I said, each one of you is gouging his brother." Then I called a big meeting to deal with them. And I told them, we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners. And now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery? Does that mean we have to buy them back again? They said nothing. What could they say? What you're doing is wrong. Is there no fear of God left in you? Don't you care what the nations around here or our enemies think of you? I and my brothers and the people working for me have also loaned them money, but this gouging them with interest has to stop. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes right now, and forgive your claims on their money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Then they said, the people, these these officials, will give it all back. We won't make any more demands of them. We'll do everything you say. Then I called the priests together, and I made them promise to keep their word. Then I emptied my pockets, turning them inside out, and I said, So may God empty the pockets and house of anyone who does not keep this promise, turned inside out and emptied. Everyone gave a wholehearted, yes, we'll do it, and praised God, and the people did what they promised. So, you know, something really stood out to me the first time I read that. as I'm reading this that I thought was so important. And that was when these people came to Nehemiah with all of these awful things that were happening to them. Nehemiah did something super, super important. He listened to them. He listened to them. He didn't try and excuse what was happening. He didn't try and assume he knew what was going on. He listened to what they had to say. Have you ever felt like in a situ- have you ever been in a situation, for instance, like at the DMV, Oy. or the um, like? Ugh, I'm gonna. I just turned into an adult now, and I have to like talk, you know, to the billing office at the doctor's office, right? Or a medical bill. Have you ever felt like someone, like something unfair was happening, and you just needed someone to listen to you? Like, would someone please just listen? And I, I know, like, sometimes if we're very lucky, maybe we've had that moment where someone said, you know what, <laughs> I can tell you're upset. <laughs> let, just sit down, let's talk, and let me see if I can help you. I don't know if you've ever had that moment before. I have. Maybe, it, maybe I just get upset all the time. <laughs> I don't get that upset. But, you know, there's nothing like having someone say, "Can we just, let, me, let me listen and hear what's happening. And let's see if we can figure it out. It it means the world, doesn't it, to have someone do that. Can um, so I just wanted I wanted to make sure that we that we pick up on how important it is to listen to people, not to challenge them, not to assume, not to try and figure it out ourselves or guess, but to humbly ask and listen on what's going on and what, about what's going on in someone's life. You know, be, when you listen, then you can show compassion. Right, like Nehemiah, what what kind of like empathy does he have? He gets mad. People are being unjust. They are treating people poorly, awfully, and so he gets angry for them. You know, when we sit with people and we listen to them, we can hear their stories. And if we have like that heart that Jesus puts in us, we're going to have empathy, right? You're going to mourn with those who mourn. You're going to laugh with those who laugh. You're going to care about what someone is going through. A lot of people right now, it's hard for them to stop and listen to someone. And I, I think that we, as Jesus followers, we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that ability to sit and listen. Or maybe we never had it, but maybe we could find it somewhere in us. <laughs> that maybe we could be known as people who listen. So Nehemiah gets mad and he has, he has compassion. Then he goes to these nobles and these officials and he accuses them of their wrongdoing. I really, um, you know, in, in the ancient world, apparently I, I read that giving loans, this was like, what they would do is they would charge like 50% interest on a loan. So for the Jewish people to not do that, to not give loans and to give, give money in, and to give things out when people were in desperate times. It really set them apart. It made them God's people. It made a big difference. They, they acted different. They looked different. So then Nehemiah makes it official, and he brings the, these people. So first he goes to them, and he talks to them, and says, you guys are really messing this up. And then he says, whoa, 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 wait. We're making this public. We're, this, is, this needs to be like a trial, right? I really love how Nehemiah handles this. Okay, so then he says, he he gives them all of of the things he wants to say to them. Can you think of a time you ever really needed to talk to someone? Like, you were mad. So mad that you thought it out. And you wrote it down. You know what I'm talking about? You wrote it down. These are the things. We are going to talk about them. So that's what Nehemiah did. He had his things. These are the things we are going to talk about. So he brings it in front of of the people, and he confronts their wrong actions. Here are his arguments. You're undoing the very work we did. People that we just bought out of exile, you are putting them back into a type of slavery. Okay, number two, do you not even fear God? God. Look how you're making us look in front of all these other countries. Number three, we've been loaning money too. Let's stop asking interest. Okay, so I do have a little homework for you, okay? But you don't have to give it to me. But you need to do this homework, and you need to help me figure this out. In verse 10, Nehemiah says, let's stop charging interest or asking interest or All of this. So I'm trying to figure out commentaries are different. Some of them say this and some of them say not. Was Nehemiah also charging interest? And so now he was saying this needs to stop. Some commentaries, which are like books that kind of go through when a, a really smart person, much smarter than me, talks about the verses and writes about like the history of them and stuff. Some of them say he was, and some of them say he wasn't, but he was just talking like in the community sense, like let us stop charging interest. So, but it got me thinking because Nehemiah is not a perfect person, okay? He's, he's not God in any way. He's just a man, one of God's people. And so maybe he was charging interest also because we do make mistakes. We do do wrong things. But I like that he is making it right. He's listened. He has heard the complaint. He has said, if, if he is indeed charging interest, let us stop doing this, and let's make this right. Something to think about. You can look into it more on your own, okay? Um, then he gives them a challenge to stop let's stop this practice now. And then he holds them accountable. And I think this part is really cool. He makes everyone empty out their pockets, (laughs) turn them inside out so they can't forget this. And he says in front of all the people, in front of all the priests, and in front of God, he says, may this be what happens to us if we do not follow through on this. He holds them accountable because We all know sometimes we need someone to hold us accountable. He doesn't just say, oh, we're going to do this good thing. We're going to make this right. He says, we're going to make this right before God. And may we all be held accountable to make things right. I think these are really good, important things. And Nehemiah is a great guy. But I don't want you to think that the point of this is be like Nehemiah. That's cool. If you like Nehemiah, he's a cool guy. Can kind of be like him, okay? But really, when we read something in Scripture, if this is your first Bible study, when we read something in Scripture, do you know that all Scripture points back to one person? It points back to Jesus. And so let's find out how these Scriptures are pointing to Jesus. You want to do that? Guys, this is the part that gets me really excited. It's my favorite part of studying the Bible you're going to be like, this, she is so weird. She's so nerdy. So here we go. I'm going to jump around, but hang out, hang with me here, okay? So scriptures in Old Testament and New Testament all have a message of salvation, liberation, and reconciliation. And let's find out what that means. So Jesus, in his... Uh, I was kind of laughing when I was reading this. Jesus, before he, um, he went into ministry, like in his when he was 30 years old, and he gives his first sermon. And I was picturing, because I went to you know a Bible college where a lot of people gave their first sermons, and they can be pretty fiery. And everyone is left like, wow. So that's what you wanted to say. So here, Jesus is getting ready. He's had 30 years to think about what he wants to say, right? And he's getting ready, and he's like, this is it. Getting up there, and this is my chance to say what I've been wanting to say for a long time. <laughs> that's kind of what I think is going. I'm not, I'm not telling Jesus that he was thinking that, but that's how I picture it, okay? So he gets up there, and let's read what happens. He reads a mix of Isaiah 61.1 and Isaiah 58, okay? So he, uh, Luke 4 talks about it, so I'm going to read from there. It says, and he came to Nazareth where where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it is written, so imagine this, he gets the scroll, he takes the mic, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, and this uh, basically he says, and this is being fulfilled right now. Basically he says, oh, that guy is me. Thanks, I'm out. Okay? And they're like, did he just call himself God? I think, and they get really, really, really mad, okay? But yes, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was saying, I am the one who gives good news to the poor. I am the one who brings liberty to captives. I am the one who brings recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. He is the liberator. He is the healer. He is the redeemer. And he's the one who ultimately sets things right. He is concerned with justice and true freedom. Jesus, whose heart purpose is for the poor and the oppressed. He doesn't just stop unjust things. He doesn't just say, like, oh, stop doing that. He goes full circle, and he makes it right. He redeems things all the way. This is how Jesus works. He brings healing and change to individuals' lives, to our lives, to our families, to our communities, All the way, full circle. Sometimes it gets, like, stopped here. (laughs) That's the painful part, right? But God wants to bring it all the way back. He wants to bring healing. I um, have... This is a topic that has really been on my heart the last few years. uh, And um, I wanted to read one of the couple of the books I've been reading right now, but one of them I wanted to quote from is a book I think that's really important. Both of these are so important right now. But Esau Macaulay, he's a professor at Wheaton College near where I live. He wrote the book Reading Well Black. I highly recommend it. It's an important book for us right now. But he talks about these verses and when Jesus reads this, he says that Isaiah 58 And Isaiah 61, that area, it lamblasts a fake religiosity more concerned with ritual than transforming the lived situation of the poor. According to Isaiah, true practice of religion ought to result in concrete change, the breaking of yokes. He does not mean the occasional private act of liberation, but to break the chains of injustice. What could this mean other than a transformation of the structures of society that trap people in hopelessness? Jesus has in mind the creation of a different type of world. That's who Jesus is. He wants to see people truly set free. One of the questions for our Bible study this week was, does injustice exist within the body of Christ? And history would say, yes, it has. The church has not always helped people, has it? We are all painfully aware of that. And sometimes people would just rather ignore that. But I think that if we, always, if we ignore things, they can't heal. Right? If we always ignore things, if we push them under the rug, they just kind of like fester and get gross. And they can't heal. Um, so, you know, one of the books I love, it, another one here I have with me, The Color of Compromise. It talks about the history of the church. It it's it's also a really important book. And and there are a couple of things that are in the history of even that I can think of that would have been in the last few hundred years, like hundreds of years or more. Um, One of them is, maybe you've heard of it, the practice of redlining where communities were drawn on maps by realtors and by companies to redline communities. And to show where property that would be worth more money than other places. And it really divided our country. It was, very, it was a very like divisive tool used to promote racism in our society. And a lot of people made a lot of money off it. And a lot of people were very hurt by it for many generations to come still to this day. Families that could have been had a lot more do not because of that. In the Pentecostal church, I don't know if you know this, but our church, and it's obviously it's an Assemblies of God church. It's part of the Pentecostal movement. It started in the early 1900s in a place called Azusa Street, which is in, L- which is in Los Angeles. It was a revival that happened there. Um, like a prayer meeting, and it was led by a black pastor by the name of William Seymour, who had a passion to see the Holy Spirit move for today and It was really really nothing like it in hundreds and thousands of years that had happened before you know before the Holy Spirit had come the first time, and so he they we were praying, and it was a really beautiful thing it became they actually met at a church called I believe the African Episcopal Methodist Church or something like this so it was a black church and people from all different races came and worshiped together and sought the Holy Spirit and that happened there it was a really beautiful thing but over time it started to divide and it became it it became segregated just like so many of the denominations in our country these days And even to this day, the Pentecostal church is just the same as any other denomination. It can be very segregated in many parts of our country and in many churches. There's also um, white flight. I I heard about this in college for the first time. It was the practice of people leaving the city, um, leaving the city to go to more affluent neighborhoods and leaving the cities without many of the things and resources that they needed to continue, left a lot of families from all different races, but mostly white people moved to the, to the suburbs and black families and other races were left in the city, and it like took un, very unfairly a lot of things with them, including churches. A lot of churches left the city at that time. This was like in the 50s and 60s and the 70s. I know of a church, put it out there just somewhere, I know of a church who was in the city and had a really important role, and they have moved Farther and farther and farther away. Why? I love the city. We need churches in the city. We need each other. Our churches need each other. It's just, it's just sad to think about. These things have happened. And if we ignore that they've happened, we can't heal them. We can't make them right. So what it's, I like to say it's good to listen. Sometimes picking up a book is, is a way to Listen to see what are the things that have happened. Maybe they're in our history. Maybe they didn't happen in our lifetime, but they happen. And how can we be a part of seeing these things healed in our generation? How do we respond to accusations of injustice in the church? Do we listen and admit where we failed? Can we repent and make things right? You know, as Jesus people, we are truly free to walk in love and grace and humility. We are even free to be able to say, I was wrong. And Jesus covers that. And I think that's the most beautiful thing, to be able to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. Jesus' people can say that. A lot of other people can't. But we are free. We have this amazing freedom to be able to say that. Before we leave, I want to read real quick from Isaiah 58, where Jesus read, because it brings this full circle. And I'll let you guys can finish the rest of Nehemiah chapter 5. He basically was a very generous guy and took care of a lot of people, and that was really awesome. But I want to come back to Jesus real quick in Isaiah 58 and read some of the verses, because they're going to bring this back full circle, and you're going to hear Nehemiah. And I'm going to go like this, really excited, so you're going to know. Okay, that's the part that's about Nehemiah. Okay, Jenny, we get it. Okay, so here we go. Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth from the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. By the way, this is all talking about Jesus. I want to make sure that we're clear on that and what he does and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fall. Here it is. And when Jesus, I just want to say real quick before I read this verse, when Jesus stood up to read that scripture and he read those scriptures, everyone in the room knew that he was talking about these scriptures because they all knew these scriptures by heart. They had them memorized. It's just part of the life back then they knew he was talking about these scriptures. So I just want to put that in my... Verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Jesus is the one who repairs walls. He repairs broken walls in our families. He repairs broken walls in our churches. He repairs broken walls in our communities. And not just figuratively. He wants to do it for real. And he wants us to be a part of it. A part of bringing healing to our communities. A part of bringing healing in our families. It can be really hard and it can be really messy. But Jesus wants to do that. And he is intent on true justice and true freedom. And so whatever we can do as Jesus people to listen and to stand with our brothers and sisters, to stand with whoever we can when they need us, wherever that may be, to be Jesus in our communities and to walk with those who are struggling, who are not being treated justly, that will show the light of Christ in our community. That will repair broken walls. He will do that. Won't he do that? He will do that. And so let's go ahead and pray tonight. I hope that tonight you'll forget this, you'll forget me, you'll forget this talk, all of that. But I hope that it can be a moment in your journey where you start, or maybe you have been, but just a moment in your journey of being a person, a Jesus person who wants to see healing in the community and who is wrestling through what does that mean how do we see that happen how do we bring that as this church let's go ahead and pray okay Jesus thank you so much for your church thank you for my dearest friends that sit here in this room with me thank you God that you are working in our hearts and that you are drawing us not only to you but you have a a plan for healing and restoration not just in heaven one day but on this earth now. And God, would you work in our hearts, Holy Spirit, would your, would your fruit, would you work through us to show that love and grace here in our communities, in our wherever they may be, wherever our circle of influence may be, Lord, would you do this? Would you repair broken walls? Thank you, Jesus, um, for what you have done, we've seen it, and for what you will do. In your name we pray.
0: Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.